You're listening to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness with host Sean Tice, where we talk about leading fatherless families to the Heavenly Father. Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness. My name is Sean Tice. I'm excited to have my guest today, Dr. D.D. Meyer. It's great to have you with us today. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Sean. Thanks for asking. Now, D.D., you have an amazing uh career. You were with the Boone Center for the Family at Pepperdine University. That in itself just sounds really important. Okay, so let's just go ahead and unpack that real quick. Tell us what you do there and also with your career, what all, what all of you have accomplished. I mean, you know what I mean, just the summary of all those things. Yeah, well, God is good. And he uh, He um, has given me great opportunity at Pepperdine. Boone Center for the Family is invested in helping families uh, be better families. So we essentially work to research what gets in the way of healthy relationship and healthy family. And then we get to, I get to travel around and teach churches and ministries and uh, all people, therapists, how do we engage uh, people so that they can grow into uh, health and health in relationships, personal health, a strong sense of identity. Um, so that's a, a lot of what we do at the Boone Center for the Family. It's all about family. It's all about all the familial relationships that we have, whether it's organizational relationship or church family. But how do we stay healthy and know what goes into making us healthy? Um, I I love the church. And so um, I, my doctoral work was on understanding leadership within the church and helping, helping the church as a system support healthy leadership in pastoral ministry. And so really focusing on a governing board and how do we create a healthy system and use the power of the governing board to, to motivate and propel churches to be healthier systems. So... That's really good. That's, 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 hey, that's, that's what you need. That's kind of what we do. We, we help churches with mentoring. We help churches with single mom ministries, how to get started. Uh, so you're training churches. And I think there's a, there is a need for that with family because there's so many families these days, especially uh, today, there's, there's so many families that are just struggling and hurting. And uh, they're, they're either on the brink of divorce or they're, um, they're just kind of getting by. And so that, that even affects the kids as well. And so I, I appreciate what you do with that. Tell us about Pepperdine. Um, if anybody that's listening has never, I mean, I'm sure most people have heard of Pepperdine University. Please tell us a little bit about that school. Yeah, Pepperdine is such an awesome place. Um, it it it's pretty too. I mean, it's beautiful location right on the on Malibu. But I think my favorite thing about Malibu or about Pepperdine is the community. Um, really solid community invested in raising up and educating young people to come become contributing members of society. Um, and so it's been a really fun place to be because, uh, when you are surrounded by a group of people that are so invested in helping people become, uh, healthy and well-rounded and secure in who they are so that they can go out and influence the world. And with a mindset of service, um, it, it matters and it makes a difference. Um, and understanding academics, just an incredible academic institution too. So it's fun to be there and to be a part of that community um, that's invested in supporting our culture in the best way. And that's by investing in individual lives. So it's fun to be there. That's great. Now, now you haven't always been uh, Dr. D.D. Meyer. Why don't we go ahead and go back to your childhood? <laughs> and, you know, you, you, there's the, the, the young D.D., right? And so tell us a little bit about your story of growing up. Um, I know you've had a dad in your home 
but just share share a little bit about what you went through as a child. Yeah, um, I grew up in a family, a large family. Uh, I have five brothers and two sisters, so I am right in the middle. I have two older brothers and three younger brothers. So I was the first girl um, and the only girl for a decade before my baby sisters came along um, and grew up in a home. Uh, there was a lot of love, but there was also a lot of anger and there was a lot of addiction in the home. So uh, even though I had a father who was physically present, uh, this issue of fatherlessness runs deep because there are lots of things that are keeping dads away from connecting with their families. And I know we experienced that and um, some of the obstacles that that brings, you know, growing up in a home where there's anger creates a lot of fear growing up where there's addiction creates a lot of instability and uncertainty. And so, um, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful we had a big group of people. It's kind of like growing up in a litter though, <laughs> highs and lows, you know, highs and lows. That's great. And, and so touch more on that because one of the things that we've dealt with as we have traveled and spoken at churches, we've had people come up to us at our exhibit at the end, our booth that we have. Um, and they say, I had a dad in my house, but I was fatherless. And what I've, we've interpreted, what they are saying is they had a dad that was physically present, but he was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absent. It's kind of what we teach from our ministry. And so yeah. you can be dad, you can be physically present, but when you're mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absent, you're not there for your kids. Maybe you're providing, but so many dads are doing that, but they're not there for their children to develop them emotionally or spiritually or mentally. And they, that, I feel like that rejection sometimes is even harder than when, like my dad moved from Pennsylvania when I was growing up and he moved to, to Las Vegas. And so he wasn't yeah. around. So it wasn't a constant reminder that my dad didn't care. He, I would remember him and think about him occasionally, but I, I would forget he even existed. But having him in your home and having to deal with some of that um, different abuse and things like that, that's definitely challenging. So would you talk more about that and how that affected your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think you're hitting a really important point. And I and I think we're hitting a really important point about the importance of the work that you're doing and the importance of the work that, that churches can do and the work of the Fatherhood Commission, which is where we met, to really invest in helping men understand the power of their role within a family and uh, the impact of absence um, and the impact of not having a presence within the home when you're physically there. I think culturally, we've put this ideal and this mandate on man where they feel such pressure to provide and support, but then they they don't recognize the value of their personhood in the home. And so for us growing up, um, you know, my dad was pretty much not present. He worked. He, he left for work uh, late in the morning after we'd already gone for, to school, and he was most often not home when we had dinner at night. Mm -hmm. So uh, we really only were together with my mom. And then when he was home, we walked on eggshells. Um, mm. And, and, and I, I would say that is consistent. I think the national average in 2022 was that most uh, average schoolboy sends about 30 minutes per week in a conversation with their dad. Mm. And if you just compare this to the amount of time that people are spending and kids are spending on their devices, uh, the impact that can have is insane. Uh, one of the things that we're finding too is that fathers, um, huge longitudinal research study done um, out of USC demonstrated that fathers are the most important presence within the family. And in passing values down, um, 
passing faith down to kids, the father's presence is by far the most important influence within the family system. And so that engagement makes a difference. And for us in my family, growing up, the level of insecurity, what that speaks to our sense of identity and who we are and our worth and our value when our father is either absent physically um, out of the home or whether he's present and not there or even such a presence that it invokes fear. And I think the other thing that happens is when you have a father in the home that um, doesn't engage with you, it can give you a mixed up idea of what it means to have God as a father to us, right? I know for me, it impacted me a lot. Like that, I think, was the most, uh, one of the most damaging components is really Walking on eggshells around my dad made me feel like I had to walk on eggshells around God and that I had to perform to earn his love. And that performance really never got secure love because when you have anger, when you grow up in an angry home, you know that anything can set off. So even if you have a good moment, you you sort of live escaping the, the more difficult, harder moments. And so that message gives you a sense of being unsettled in and insecure in being able to receive love or step into relationship with safety and security. Uh, and it can be so much harder. Whereas, you know, with our mothers that are in the home working so hard, uh, there's a level of, level of stability that dads bring. Um, a level, a level of love and connection that we desire for our whole lives. And I, and I bet you would experience the same thing. I, I would ask you if that's something that impacted you, even though you had the security of a mom that was present. Um, how did that influence you? Yeah, I mean, my, my dad not being there was just, it, it was challenging. I mean, definitely challenging. See, my, my situation was a little different because my, my mom moved out then when I was in second grade. So I lived oh, with my gosh. grandparents then. And so it was just kind of a weird situation, but I had loving grandparents. So my, my grandfather became like a dad to me at second grade. Uh, but then he died when I was in sixth grade. And so oh, it was like this four year God. span of those crucial years. They were really, they were really good. I mean, and my grandparents were amazing. Uh, my mom lived in a different house and she tried to come and see me when she could and things like that. But it was mostly my grandparents. And so I had this weird and a lot of kids go through that nowadays. That's why we focus on grandparents raising grandkids too with our ministry because I, that's my personal experience. And so mine was a little bit different um, because I had that development from a, a male figure uh, for those four years. But then once my dad, my grandfather passed away at the beginning of my sixth grade year, it was, that was when it really took effect and really hit me um, right at those crucial, right before junior high years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so I was that a mess. Little. Yeah. Yeah, it was a mess for a while. But then I had had mentors that poured into me and stuff like that. So my situation was a little bit different than somebody that, you know, the dad's not present because, again, I had the grandfather that stepped in right away. As soon as my dad you, left, the grandfather came into my life. You and I share similarity because I lost my mom when I was 17 and my baby sister was three. And so my grandparents actually played the pivotal role, even from a distance, um, and were a stabilizing force. So the power of grandparents and the power of mentors to step in um, makes an incredible difference in establishing resiliency and helping young people overcome environments that are that are a little more um, difficult to to climb out of. 
Now, now I want to unpack two, two different things that you talked about there. One of the things was your grandparents. How did they help you? And another thing was how, so somebody listening to this could say, like I have a relative that had a dad similar to yours where, you know, he, he was, he worked, he took care of the family, but it was like walking on eggshells. They were, you know, the family was scared. Even when I moved, you know, when I was, I got closer to the family, I got to know the person, everybody was kind of walking on eggshells. And so how do you overcome that? Like what what's some of the things that you did to overcome or how did God help you? Maybe you didn't intentionally uh, try to overcome it, but God just helped you work through it. What are some things you, some steps you took to um, kind of overcome that and grow from it? Or did, did he change later in life? Or what, what are some ways that you dealt with that? Yeah. Um, some, some of that was circumstantial. Um, I had younger brothers and sisters. And so for me, I became the caretaker and the one they depended on. And so having a younger siblings that really depended on me propelled me to own that responsibility and step into that. And I'm really grateful that I had that. The power of my grandparents from a distance Man, I could call them collect. I mean, these were days before cell phones. So it didn't matter what time of night it was. I would drive to a payphone um, and I would call them collect. And I had two people who lived in Seattle, Washington. I lived in California that spoke truth and in life into me, that modeled what it meant to be a friend of Jesus, and that spoke into my capacity to overcome as a person. They spoke intentionally, intentionally to qualities and characteristics that they saw in me that helped me step into um, what was good rather than to tap out or to become more. The process of overcoming difficult environments is incredibly intentional. Um, so growing up in a home where there's anger and there's uh, addiction impacts us all differently. For some, we're more prone to addiction. For others, we're more, you know, prone to codependence or control. I was more a controller and a protector. I learned that I could protect my brothers and sisters. I learned and was empowered. At some point in my life, I decided I'd rather be dead than afraid anymore. It was, I, I didn't want to continue to live in the tension of fear. And so I stood up against my dad in, in a way that shook him up a little bit. And from that point on, I was able to step in and be a protector, um, which sounds great and really healthy. But when you protect um, for your own safety, yeah, you actually don't know when to turn that off. So while that mm -hmm. looks great from an outside view looking in, I become a really difficult person to live with because if I'm not in control, I don't feel safe. Um, and that's a lot of the work we do at the Boone Center for the Family is help pe helping people recognize what unhealthy things have I learned about myself, right? And for me, I learned the world's unsafe and I have a responsibility to protect people. And so if I can be in control, then I can do that. But if you've ever been around a controlling person, how's that feel? It's miserable. They're walking on eggshells around you. So I'm actually proliferating. The other thing I learned growing up in an addictive home is to kind of be hidden and sneaky and not talk the truth. So I had to really intentionally, and I have to tell you, like sometimes I think in the church, we have this view that we're gonna arrive at total health and wellness and never have to work on these things again. And I like to tell people, you know, I never arrive. I'm never done working on these things. 
that to change my perspective to recognize I have a weak spot when it comes to feeling unsafe. And when I feel unsafe, I react pretty quickly in a protective mode. But I can catch it and keep it healthy if I'm intentional. Um, and so instead of looking at I've overcome that and I've arrived at health, it's I have this really awesome tool that God helps me to be able to see when I'm operating in a way and reacting in a way that's unhealthy in my pain as a result of what I grew up with. And I can step in different in the same way with hiddenness. Um, you know, I mean, we're just radically honest in my house. I mean, we could talk about anything and that has highs and lows <laughs> attached to it. But I, I made a decision early on that secrets destroy us. And so if we create an environment where we can talk about the real things, then we can figure out almost anything. But when there's lies and hiddenness that it, that it kind of it destroys. So really being intentional about the messages that I had learned. And I think that's the part that all of us can do is start to look at what happens inside of us. What's our own unique response and reaction to the things that have impacted a sense of identity for me, a sense of who I am in the world, and a sense of whether or not I'm safe to exist, whether I'm safe to be in relationship, are people safe, is the world a safe place? If I can get some clarity that gives me some direction, I can actually pick up and say, oh, I don't, I don't have, I'm not unsafe. I was when I was little, but I have some power. I don't have all the power. I'm not always safe, but I have some power to help me take steps to maintain safety. And when there's openness and honesty, I can create a sense of safety and I can draw out some resilience and be able to know that I can step into this and provide solutions or think of new ways out. So it's really looking at what have I learned? What, what have I learned that's not true about who I am um, and about how I can engage the world? And how do I systematically begin to not give those any more power? to repeat patterns. Because I think that's the one thing we see is that we repeat patterns from our families. Unless we stop and intentionally make a difference, we fall into the same legacies and patterns. And I think that's what we're seeing with fatherhood. I mean, men have taken such a hit in culture. Um, you know, I mean, just look at how they're viewed on media. Fathers um, have nothing to offer. So it's not surprising, really, when we see fathers begin to shut down. Um, and so I think we have a responsibility to say, hey, listen, nobody can give what you have to offer. What you have to offer culture and your family and your workplace is irreplaceable. And so step in um, and, and teaching men how to be able to do that in a way that is grace-filled um, and in a way that has impact and influence and that brings the fullness of what was intended uh, out of our men. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that. No, that's that, that's really good. <laughs> I I, I want to ask you a follow up question with that though. Just you know, with people that are listening to this and they're saying, "Hey, I'm kind of still in one of those relationships. I have a toxic um, situation I'm in. Maybe they have a parent that their whole life has been controlling and angry." And like I, I have an example I'm thinking of right now with this one family where the 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 father was everybody was walking on eggshells. You know, you want to have the the grandkids be too loud. You don't want to have um, you know, everybody gets nervous around this one guy. How do you navigate that um, with, without being, you know, totally separating from the person? Do, do you have any advice on yeah. that for people who are listening? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. And I wish there was a one size fits all answer. Um, we, we all come with our own stories and reasons why we behave that way. And so one of the things, I mean, I know for me in my household environment, earning the right to speak to my dad gave me a platform with him. And so I remember a night that was a really rough night within my family system. And I was able to sit down with him and say, Hey, listen, um, you're destroying long-term relationship with your kids mm. and you're going to end up alone. They're not going to want to be in relationship with you unless you stop it. So you need some help. Honestly. Right. So, so having an honest and transparent mm. conversation in a moment where there's receptivity can be really powerful and just saying you need some help. But I think one thing we often forget is that we have those conversations when we're mad. And so we're screaming and they're mixed within statements that are destroying identity and safety and that are condemning to what a man has to offer. And so in doing so, for a father that's struggling to find a place that is healthy and, and is exercising anger, when we're now telling them, you know, your anger is making everybody not want to be around you, unintentionally, we can push them away. So encouraging men that what they have to offer, dads, what you have to offer is really valuable and we want it. But you need help in being able to step in in a way that's healthy with us. And so we want to do this with you, um, really being positive and affirming in that. And I, I do want to say, when there's abuse or unsafety, um, getting help to, to help mitigate those conversations, you know, maybe the safest place to have that conversation is in the presence of a therapist in a, in a therapy office or with a pastor at the church. Maybe that's where you can have those conversations in an environment where there'll be more receptivity. So I, I always want to be mindful of making sure that, that we stay safe. But when you're regulated, and, and that's one of the things that I think is really important, is that we, we live in a society that is very dysregulated, emotionally dysregulated. And what I mean by that is that we're highly reactive to environments around us. Um, and so when we're responding in reactivity, it is always destructive. It doesn't promote health or well-being. And so one of the first and most important things, if I want to be an agent of change and to be somebody that can speak life and truth into another person, I have to own my responsibility to be regulated. Because when I'm dysregulated, I'm contributing to, I'm putting gas on a fire, right? Mm. But when I can come with emotional grounding, a sense of security, when I am non-reactive, no matter what's happening, and I'm, I'm able to stand stable, then my ability to speak into that circumstance grows. What I have to say increases in its ability to be effective. And again, there's no one conversation that's going to change a human being's life. Yeah. That change is a long-term process I think people think that one of the most powerful statements I've heard in the last year was that healing's really disruptive because it mm -hmm. brings up a lot of mess. And so we're not ready for that. We think when we're on the pathway to healing, it's going to be easy. But healing really disrupts a lot of life. If you go back to even that story in scripture, when Jesus heals the blind man that was born from birth. His whole life gets thrown into a flurry. Like his parents kind of disown him because they choose the church. Like they don't want to be kicked out of the church. So they say, ask our son. We can tell you he was born blind, but ask him. And so 
his whole world gets disrupted. It's not, everything doesn't calm down and life doesn't get better the second Jesus gives him sight. Like our healing disrupts and disorients a lot of our life. And so going into change with the mind that says, I want to have a long-term gain and long-term relationship. And with the knowledge that there's no one answer that makes everything better, that really the process of change is a journey. You covered everything, I think, with that. Because if it is abusive, they need to get addressed that. You need to do it in a safe setting. Sometimes the person just needs a little firmness and correction. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you touching on that. Now, go back to your grandparents. Uh, there's, you know, we help grandparents raising grandkids different with different content. What's some advice you would give to grandparents coming from your perspective of this is what my grandparents did for me? Yeah. Gosh, don't underestimate your power. I mean, statistically, in a family with five brothers and three sisters, um, we should all either be abusive or addictive, addicted to something. And the power of grandparents, um, you know, all but one is in a healthy marriage um, and growing and stayed connected in marriage. Um, our, my brothers are invested fathers. They're invested in their kids, and my sisters are invested and devoted uh, to their children. And so I, I attribute that to the power of my grandparents and the relationship they had with us and the investment they made in us. So I would say to grandparents, don't underestimate the influence and the power that you have, um, whether you're far away or whether you're close. My grandparents would show up. They'd take us to ice cream. They spoke words of life into us, the power of words of life. You know, when you have a person that's saying, I recognize the pain of what you're going through, and I know you have what it takes to endure through it, keep going. That is a powerful message to someone that feels like they're drowning. And to know that there's a safe place to follow that up. As an adult with children, I'm blown away by my parents' grace in getting a phone call in the middle of the night with the pain that I threw at them, both Mm -hmm. with their daughter, who was an, an addict, and my dad who struggled with his anger and for them to never uh, even let me have an idea that it hurt them to hear those things. I, I don't know how they did it, but they focused on what I needed to hear in that moment and being present and available to the pain I was experiencing and affirming that I was okay. They also didn't have an answer. They didn't say, pick up and come live with us. They didn't say anything negative about my mother or father. They just said, let's brainstorm what's the next right step for you right now. Um, let me encourage and uplift you. Um, and we're here. And that was powerful. I mean, they sent, you know, they sent notes and messages. And every once in a while, they'd send $100 to, so that I could go buy something that I needed. I mean, just little things that spoke that what I say to you and how I behave with you, they match. And seeing that type of love, investment, sacrificial support, and transparency, you could just see the impact on my whole family and how we turned out. Um, And I'm just indebted and grateful. What you're saying is, it just relates to me. I, you know, even just, I'm thinking about my grandfather. Again, he died whenever I was in sixth grade. But just, just little things like he'd be talking to a friend and he'd say, he, I was a good kid and I was proud of me because I had so many people in my life that were so negative, just family members. And oh. even the guy that my mom lived with was just a horrible person. And, you know, she made some bad choices and she got finally got out of that situation. But I had so much negativity. And then and yeah. people speaking just negative things. 
but he was constantly, you're a good, you're, he's a good kid. And it oh, yeah. made me think, Hey, I can, I was just as, as a little kid, I can achieve things. So you're reminding me of that. Cause I kind of forgot how much that impacted me even to this day where yeah. yeah, I am a good person. Who cares what all these other people are saying about me? It matters what God thinks about me and the people that actually know me think about me. Oh yeah. I remember my grandparents, just my, my younger brother, my youngest brother, man, he just got hit hard. And my, I remember my grandpa sitting him down and just saying, God doesn't make junk. You are not junk. You're, you're going to make something of himself. And ev- all our journeys are kind of messy. Like yeah. none of us have a perfect line. Some, some look a little more perfect on the outside, but all of us, life is not, life's not easy. It throws a lot of obstacles at us. But to have these little phrases like you're talking about and like my brother had, God didn't make junk. You, you have value. You are more than what you feel in this moment. Our th- hooks that we can grab hold of, they're handles that we grab hold of, like life preservers when we're feeling like we're sinking that can motivate us to propel out of the mess and make something different for ourselves. Um, so those things are incredibly powerful. We have less than five minutes left and just want to ask you, um, what are ways churches can get involved? You talked about you speak at churches. What are some things that you could say to churches saying, hey, this is how to get help families better? What are some things you guys offer to help with that? Yeah, so here's what I would say. And and what I love about the Boone Center for the Family is that we're not about making people dependent on us, that we really are about resourcing and equipping the church with language and a tool that can help them begin to step into relationships. And so we use a model called the pain and the peace cycle. It's built off of restoration therapy, which is, from what I have found, the only gospel-designed model of therapy um, that helps us to understand what it means to take off the old self and put on a new self in Christ, um, which Paul talks about all through the epistles in the New Testament. And so um, what we do is we train churches on how to use this model to help marriages and families and to how to support relationships and how to begin to have conversations about the parts of our old self that begin to take over when pain gets the driver's seat. You know, pain will sit in the driver's seat because when we experience pain in our lives, we want to avoid it as much as possible. And so it sits in the driver's seat of our behavior and our relationships until we take it out of the driver's seat. God teaches us how to do that. So our model is not the only model. I would encourage churches to find places where they can get models of discipleship that help people understand the how-to. Often in church, we throw verses like this up with those active verbs without any model for, okay, I don't know how to do that. So learning language to say, hey, how can we talk about the real stuff of life in a way that helps you know what it is to take off the lies you believe? so that you can take every thought captive in Corinthians, make it obedient to Christ and live in freedom as God designed us. Like, how do I create a sense of identity and a sense of security in the world around me that helps me operate in fullness so that I can be in healthy relationship, so that I can have a strong sense of self and so that I contribute to this process of transformation that God's promised me so that I can live a little bit more abundantly and find flourishing in a different way. So find models that help you communicate within the culture of the church transformation and, and help us know, like, what does that even mean? We talk about transformation a lot, but I have a role in it. The Holy Spirit doesn't do all of it. I surrender. So what does that mean even? Um, so finding language that helps us take 
particularly in the world we live in with the mental health crisis we're in right now, where so much of that negative language and chatter controls how we engage the world, helping churches be able to have language that can get to the heart of what it means to surrender and not be led by pain and fear, but instead step into what it means to grow and heal. You're doing invaluable work, Dee, and I really appreciate you being on with us today. Just as we wrap up, would you just tell us where you could, we can find more information about you and the resources you guys provide? Yeah, uh, you can just, you know, put into the search engine Boone Center for the Family, um, and you can find me. You can put my name in, Boone Center pops up, Dee Meyer. Uh, and it's just such a privilege. Thanks for the work you're doing, Sean, and the investment you are making and having a conversation. I really do believe that if we can get our men and fathers to realize the influence that they have in culture, it will be the biggest step we can take towards um, investing and being healthy again. So thanks for the work you're doing. That's so true. Well, thank you. And I appreciate those words. And we really appreciate you being on. Thanks so much for all your insights and wisdom. And we challenge everybody listening to this, check out their website, check out their resources. And we appreciate you, Didi. Have a great day. You too. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of Let's Talk About Fodlessness. We want to now challenge you to take the next step by either starting a single mom community group in your church or with your ministry, or by joining our network of God is My Dad churches and ministries. Isn't it a great experience to be able to start a single mom community group? Yeah, and it's just, if you talk to single moms, a lot of times what they'll tell you is, the one thing they're lacking is that community, just a group that they can go in and they know there's no judgment. You know, everyone may not have the same situation. Everyone doesn't know what they're going through, but they can go in and they know there's no judgment. And and it takes that kind of that restriction and that uh, wall down for them so that they can share and then that they can grow in Christ. And our single mom community groups are a wonderful ministry. And if your church can start one, we'd love to have you. We can help you get set up. We have the curriculum and all the resources you need. If you can't start one, we'd love to have you start by by joining our network of churches and ministries, our God is My Dad network of churches and ministries, where you can get your church or your ministry on our map and people can find you and find find your ministry in your church so that they can get plugged into your church or ministry locally. So check that out. You can find all these resources at lifefactors.org. We have books, we have all kinds of content on there at lifefactors.org. Check it out today.